All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. The year was 1982. Argentina raised their flag in South Georgia, heralding the start of the Falklands War. Knight Rider made his first TV appearance. Kids in the Northeast United States got an unusual day off from school in April as a remarkable blizzard blanketed the region. A few weeks later, the Weather Channel debuted on cable TV for the very first time. The first Rubik's Cube World Championship was held in Budapest, and speaking of crazy puzzles, the first International Day of Peace was held. Epcot Park opened its doors. E.T. phoned home. And Michael Jackson released Thriller. And on October 13th of that same year, Kiss released an album called Creatures of the Night. Your video is called I Love It Loud. Is your music getting even heavier now? It seems so on the list. Your last album, right? Yes. It's going to continue getting heavier, louder, meaner. Uh, this is our 17th record, and we've done everything since we've begun, from ballads with violins to, uh, to the loudest and the meanest rock and roll. And now that uh, we've gotten a concept record out of our creative minds, this was our last record, The Elder, now it's time to get serious about what we've always done, which is play the meanest and the loudest, and hopefully put on the best show in the world. We took a break for quite a while, and um, I don't think also that we were prepared to really do a heavy, heavy album, which is um, what our fans have wanted for a while. I think that part of being a very big band is that you have... Uh, times when you're very big, times when you're not as big. If you're a band that's been around 10 years, you have ups and downs. The Stones have had periods where they really didn't sell very much. What was getting them by was that they were a legend. I think the difference between bands that come and go overnight and the long-term bands is if you're going to be around for a long time, you're going to have times when it's up and times when it's down. I don't really worry. I think what we do possibly can appeal to everybody. If it doesn't, it's because you're uptight. You know, if you're too uptight, then too bad. You know, uh, I don't want to change what I do to make anybody happy because um, if you're worried about what your friends think, well, that's too bad for you. Five welcomes KISS in their most explosive tour ever, Tuesday, January 4th, in the Charleston Civic Center Coliseum. Designed as a giant tank for the loudest band in the world. Kiss. Tickets on sale at the Charleston Civic Center box office at all usual locations. Kiss. Produced by Belkin Productions and Future Entertainment for West Virginia's Best Rock. FM 105.
And welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller. And this is James Haker. And we're here tonight to celebrate the 25th anniversary, the upcoming 25th anniversary of an album that I think is universally accepted as one of Kiss's finest studio albums. That, of course, is Creatures of the Night. James, what are your feelings about Creatures of the Night? Well, Creatures of the Night is actually kind of uh, strange for me, as are a lot of the early Kiss studio records. Because, as uh, many of you know, and some of you probably don't, I'm only 21 years old, as it is right now. So uh, the idea of me was not even around when uh, Creatures of the Night hit the uh, shelves. So, um, however, the thing that, of course, made me a KISS fan was a uh, copy of the VH1 variation of the KISS Extreme Close-Up video. And one of the things that really, really drew me in and made me a KISS fan is this section where um, Gene and Paul are talking about Ace's departure and how Ace was a great guitar player. And I remember watching, they were doing a lip sync of uh, Creatures of the Night, and I believe Europe somewhere, and something about the way Ace was holding his guitar in that solo in Creatures of the Night, it, it absolutely blew my mind. And then, I know exactly, I know exactly the, the clip you're talking about, actually. I, um, yeah, it's a cool clip, definitely. It really is, and then that along with, they played, I believe it was uh, War Machine from uh, Rio 83, and just the absolute crunch to Gene's voice and the guitars, you know, that really put Kiss over the top for me. That along with Vinnie Vincent's uh, solo from that exact show on, um, I believe it was Calling Dr. Love. And here's War Machine from Rio, 
That was War Machine from Rio de Janeiro, 1983, the second to last show played in makeup during the original makeup era. And if I'm not mistaken, is that not the largest crowd Kiss has ever played in front of? Yes, and uh, depending on when you ask Gene, the the number could range (laughs) from like 180,000 to... uh, 350 million or something. Right, exactly. Uh, So I thought what we could do is we could just go kind of track by track through this album. There's, There's nine songs on this record. And um, not a weak song in the bunch, if you ask me. Really, not a weak song. Uh, you know, I, I guess we, we uh, you know, if I had to pick a weak song, I know I would maybe pick Killer as sort of the, the weaker song, or, or I don't know, maybe Rock and Roll Hell. I don't know. Oh, I know you no, have. No, 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 not Rock and Roll Hell. Okay. <laughs> no. I like the song, don't get me wrong. My precious. Wrong. Uh, okay. For me, it would be probably either Danger. Or uh, I Still Love You. Wow, what? Uh, I mean, I Still Love You is a great song. I really, really enjoy the powerful drums in that song, but I've always had a hatred for it live because it drones on. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. I mean, it was really cool to unplug when, you know, Paul held that note and, you know, everybody gave him his accolades. I think that's probably Paul Stanley's finest moment as a vocalist live, at least. Mm, mm -hmm. But... um, as a song in general, I mean, it's really cool on the record, but yeah. when I hate watch a bootleg or, you know, something of those sorts, or I listen to a live three, it's usually the song I'll skip over. Well, I'll tell you, on, on that tour, uh, I think it sounded, well, I mean, this is true for a lot of songs. The, the further they get from the album in terms of, um, I don't know, time span, the more they mess around with the arrangement. I think on that tour, the song sounded maybe a little... <laughs> closer to the original recorded versions but we can give that a listen later perhaps um i i, I really like I, I i really do love this album my my personal experience around this record is is um it's near and dear to my heart not least of all because it is the very first kiss record that i bought new um i became a kiss fan probably i don't know within a year prior to creatures coming out um i was five when i I think I was about five when I became a Kiss fan, and The Elder was the new record. Um, I know this because I remember um, not long after I got into Kiss, I saw them do the um, solid gold lip sync of the song I, and I was blown away. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I don't even, I didn't know that it was a lip sync at the time. I, I don't think I had any concept of that sort of thing, but I didn't own The Elder, and I don't, I think uh, maybe other fans can relate to this. That album just slipped under the radar. It wasn't a record that you went into a record store and like grabbed your attention or anything. But boy, when I walked into the record store on Central Avenue, it was Central Avenue and Yonkers. Um, I don't remember the name of the store, but I saw Creatures of the Night on the shelf on vinyl, and I that just captured the, my imagination. The cover just grabs your attention. Absolutely. It's, that's probably the one thing I originally... Re- purchased Creature of the Night through um, one of those universal buy five CDs for a dollar or something or another. And uh, I was like... What were the What were the other four? I'm sorry, I'm just curious. What were the other four CDs? Let's see. Uh, Kiss Alive, which uh, took okay. up two more selections. Uh, Kiss Unplugged. And then I think the other one was Rob Zombie's Hellbilly Deluxe. Okay, cool. cool, cool. But uh, 
And I just remember, you know, I, I would look through the magazines or I would get online at school because I didn't have internet access at home at the time. And I would mm-hmm. get online at school and sneak on to Kiss Online. And the one cover of an album that grabbed me then and to this day just absolutely sucks me in is the Creatures of the Night cover. I really think it's quite possibly their best cover ever. It's really good. It's uh, it, I think it's up there with um, with the likes of Rock and Roll Over, Destroyer, just really, I don't know, iconic imagery, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why in 1997, when they remastered uh, the Kiss albums, um, people were pretty excited to get their hands on that CD, uh, you know, with the restored cover and the restored track listing, um, or, or I should say song order, because I think for some time, the only version of Creatures that you could get on CD was the 86, yes. was it? I, I, believe so, I believe so. Yeah, which yeah. as a completist, of course, I, I do own, I think I've listened to it almost once. You know, I don't, I don't believe I own that version, actually. Um, that yeah, it's it. I think it's just something that makes the other CDs move over. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's, that's it it's one of those why moments. Um, anyway, so I thought we would go track by track and talk about the different songs on this record. So obviously, the first uh, song really sets the I guess sets the stage for for what's to come. Um, that's Creatures of the Night. Uh, really speaks for itself. What a what a powerful song. The the drum intro. I've always said there are only two songs which I really think are great kiss openers and that's Detroit Rock City Creatures of the Night and maybe uh, I Stole or uh, I Stole Your Love not Deuce but I Deuce has always been to me if it's played I would prefer it not be played um, I mean I like Deuce but to me it's the epitome of a song that's just been overdone but uh, if they're going to play Deuce I really enjoy Deuce in the second song slot yeah, I mean that was an interesting thing. Your your um, what you're describing is my first Kiss concert experience. I saw them uh, for the first time when I was 16 on the Revenge tour. Um, I didn't know what they were going to play. I had I had a, a false impression of what I would be hearing because I had scored a bootleg video from uh, from I think May of that same year. They played in in uh, England. And so I figured, okay, uh, this is what I'm going to be hearing. This is the same show. Um, I'm going to be seeing the Sphinx, and I'm going to be hearing them start with I Stole Your Love. Boy, was I wrong. Um, I had no idea what the stage was going to look like, and then the curtain went down. Bam! There was the Statue of Liberty, and they Amazing stage. Amazing uh, stage. Very, very interesting, like, design, just kind of striking. And For my money, probably my favorite KISS stage. Really? Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I wish that they would have done... I really enjoyed on the Hot in the Shade tour how the Sphinx crumbled. Yeah. And, like, the Kiss logo rose from the ashes, had the Kiss logo actually, you know, looked appropriate. It, it uh, did look a little weird. They did, they had something like that on the uh, Revenge tour as well. They, what, they the curtain? Had, yeah, some kind of curtain. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. They didn't have the light-up logo. I, I didn't see that until the, the reunion tour. Yeah. But hearing Creatures as the, the opening track was just... And then Absolutely. right into Deuce. Right into Deuce. Creatures of the Night is a cool song. It, I think it, 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 um, it epitomizes what that album is about. Now, there's some interesting stuff to talk about here. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any to get into the, the guitar controversy of this record, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, th- th- this is an argument that comes up a lot on the message boards. Um, you know, it's sort of one of those unwinnable... <laughs> Uh, arguments that has no point whatsoever, uh, and yet I do it anyway. 
Um, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Um, and, and the argument is, you know, there's Ace on the cover of the record, um, clearly doing Kiss a big favor by allowing them to use his face um, on something that he didn't play on. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, you know, universally accepted that uh, had Ace Frehley not been on the record, the album probably wouldn't have sold as well as it did. Which is not... And as we know, it's not very well at all. Right, and the, and, and uh, with no pun intended, the tour tanked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, ho, 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 But, uh, but uh, yeah, but no, Ace, Ace did them a favor by putting his, his face on the cover. Um, I certainly didn't know that it wasn't him when I heard it because I was six and I didn't know anything about lead guitar and it could have been him. You could have told me it was him playing a violin. I probably would have thought, okay, but... Um, I guess I knew, but you know, what's up? I I knew from the beginning, but then again, you know, they told me in the thing that told me the album was there. You know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so it's I mean, I can't can't relate there, but to me, that made the album's mystique even greater. Well, it's you know, it's an interesting thing because, uh, I I feel like there are some records where Kiss are forgiven for having the that kind of um mishmash of people on it. Like you can't. People cannot forgive them for doing that on Psycho Circus. And part of the reason why they can't forgive them is because it was such a, an important record, this reunion album. They were all supposed to be like one big happy family again. Didn't happen. With Creatures, there's like a lot more forgiveness because it was, they, were such, there was, they were in such a state of flux. They were about to take the makeup off, you know. And uh, also, too, I think Creatures, Creatures gets more of a pass because, as you said, it's not the reunion album. You know, the album's not supposed to have any significance in that way, shape, or form. And also, too, I mean, it's really, really hard to be mad at a record this good. Right. I mean, the material on this album, you know, like I said, I don't think there's a weak track on the album. And that includes solos, rhythm parts, you know, the whole thing is just amazing. Which is why it's it's funny, you know, the, one of the quotes that comes up from Ace a lot is he says, you know, after I left Kiss, the band got a musical vasectomy. I don't think I don't think that's true at all. I mean, listening to Creatures, that that certainly doesn't... I mean, sure, you know, Crazy Nights is not exactly the strongest material the band ever released, in my yeah, opinion, like but... Boomerang or, you know... <laughs> no, right. Things, things yeah. of that sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but Creatures, you know, come on. So, so a controversy that comes up, I guess, is how much credit did Ace take for playing on the album? Um, it, someone asked it, when we mentioned that we were doing a podcast. I don't know. Someone asked, "What, what was it like?" Something about this. They were. Uh, I can't remember exactly who had the uh, request. And if you're listening, I apologize. Before we started this, I forgot to get the uh, names and whatnot up. So uh, shoot me. But um, it was something along the lines of, you know, maybe an interview or something where Ace said that he played on the Creatures of the Night album. Right. I don't think they exist. Really. Well, th the closest thing that I could find, and this is a, a debated, contested bit of audio that I'll play. Um, this is from October, I think, when the album first came out. They did a press conference. Um, I think it was around Mardi Gras, actually. Uh, wait, that wouldn't make sense. Mardi Gras is in March. Um, scratch that. They did a press conference for uh, Creatures <laughs> of the Night. And... So, so I'll play. We'll play this audio clip. It's really bad quality, um, but but we'll play it anyway. It, some what happens is a reporter asks Paul um, about the lead guitar on the album. How much of it is Paul versus how much of it is Ace? And Ace 
answers, you know, instead of Paul answering ace answers and says, it's getting close to 50-50. Um, what that means is up to your interpretation. Here's the clip. Paul, it seems that you've been playing a few more leads lately than you used to way back when. How many leads do you play and how many leads states actually play this record? So again, it, you know, the question is how much how much lead guitar you know did Ace play on the album versus Paul? And Ace's response is it's getting close to 50-50. Maybe he means just in general in the in the band. Maybe he means specifically on this album. Either way, I mean, everyone in that band has taken credit for things that they didn't do. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it's you know obvious. You know, Gene didn't play on a lot on Animalize. Um, Bruce, you know, his face was on the Creatures album for how long? Right. You know, um, and Eric Carr, to me, you know, for my opinion, he didn't play on, say, uh, You Make Me Rock Hard. Right, he didn't play on, uh, on, uh, what is he? He's not on I, either. Yeah, that, that's uh, uh, Alan Schwartzberg, I believe. Yeah, I, so, I mean, they all, there's there's stuff that they, you know, they all took credit for and didn't play. Um and it's a controversy that remains, but I'm not really even sure how controversial it is. My, my, my feeling is like, life goes on. It's a great album. And that brings us to our next track. And for that track, uh, before we discuss it, we're going to take a trip down to Abner's Laboratory. Oh, Abner Devereaux, sure. Well, this Abner Devereaux, where can I find him? His workshop's located underneath the Sky Tower. You mean underground? Yeah, way underground. I'll just activate the elevator mechanism. You step inside. Welcome to Abner's Laboratory. On this edition of Abner's Laboratory, we're going to do something just a little bit different. As we all know, Creatures of the Night is known for many different things. The amazing cover, the amazing lyrics, but most of all, the thunderous drums of Mr. Eric Carr. We have obtained a copy of the original drum tracks that were mixed and engineered by Bob Clearmountain and recorded by Nico Bolas at Record One in L.A. Tonight we are going to take a look at Saint and Sinner, which of course is the second song on the Creatures of the Night album. Eric does some really, really, really cool things here. Not necessarily uh, what would be considered standard in Kiss's music. So, uh, without further ado, here is the original drum track for Saint and Sinner.
All right, you just heard the drum tracks for Saint and Sinner, recorded in 1982 for the Creatures of the Night sessions. Powerful, powerful drumming. And Saint and Sinner, um, dare I say, it might be my favorite track on the album. Loved it from day one. Really, really good tune. One of Gene's best. Next up is Keep Me Coming, which was played live at the very beginning of the tour and in true podcast fashion. Um, yeah, it's not going to be easy to listen to because it's a pretty rough recording, but uh, that's what we're here for. So 1982, way early on the tour, Vinnie Vincent on lead guitar, Paul Stanley on vocals, Eric Carr on drums, and Gene Simmons on bass. This is Keep Me Coming. <laughs>
kind of a little bit of a blatant ripoff of Led Zeppelin uh, on that one, I guess, right? Uh, I, I, w- I would say so. I don't see how anyone could really argue that, you know. A whole lot of love? It's uh, right. Like it's. A I mean, the whole lot of ripoff, if you ask yeah. me. Two of the band's original members are no longer with the group: drummer Peter Chris and guitarist Ace Freely. They've been replaced by two new members: Eric Carr and Vinnie Vincent. It's interesting. Um, you know, when you read um, reviews or talk to people who were around at the time, going to the concerts. You know, some people went to the shows and didn't even realize who was up there until they found out it was not Ace. Um, because it wasn't really highly publicized that Vinnie Vincent had replaced Ace on lead guitar, and some people went to the show expecting to see Ace. That's a... Uh, you have to kind of feel bad for those people that, you know, had to have bought tickets right. just to see Ace Frehley. I mean, you know there's people out there, and then when they get there, they get Vinnie, Vinnie Vincent. But uh, right. for the people that were there when they played Rock and Roll Hell, I you know, that's really a cool experience because, you know, Rock and Roll Hell is far and away my favorite song on this album. Nothing begins and ends with us. The Beatles, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, only just another chapter in this ever-growing book. Get hip. I mean, be a real music fan. In 1979, songwriter Jim Valence wrote a tune called Rock and Roll Hell for the band BTO, the band that had been known as Bachman-Turner Overdrive prior to the departure of Randy Bachman in 1977. A few years later, Valence was contacted by Michael James Jackson, who was producing Creatures of the Night for Kiss. Jackson asked Valence to contribute material for the new Kiss record, and so Valence and Brian Adams co-wrote War Machine. They also reworked Rock and Roll Hell, making it a heavier song in keeping with the sound of the Creatures album. According to Valence, Gene called up saying that he loved both of the tracks, but they needed one more verse. It soon dawned on Valence and Adams that Gene was going to write those lyrics so that he could be co-writer and receive royalties from these two Kiss songs. At that point, Valence had to choose. Take partial credit on an album that would likely sell millions of copies, or take nothing. With some reluctance, he decided to collaborate with Gene, and Kiss got two more songs for their album. Thanks to our good buddy Julian at Kiss FAQ for that information, and thanks to Julian also for supplying us with this rare recording, the original BTO version of Rock and Roll Hell.
if I'm not mistaken, Danger is your least favorite song on the album? Absolutely. Okay, why is that? I don't really have so much as a reason past it's just not my favorite song. Uh, Paul, I don't much care for his vocals in the chorus. It's, it's a good song. The problem with an album such as Creatures of the Night is when you're asked to state your least favorite songs on the album, you love even your least favorite songs. Right. So, I mean, it's like my favorite Kiss album is Psycho Circus, and I'll always say that, you know, Within or um, You Wanted the Best are my least favorite songs, but I love them just the same, you know. So, um, you know, Danger's a great song. It's just, to me, not as great as, say, Rock and Roll Hell, Creatures of the Night, or or, or the next track we're about to play. Absolutely. Right. Um, the, 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 I guess the first single from the album, if I'm not mistaken? I believe it was the only single in America from right, the album. Right, right.
All right, that was I Love It Loud, uh, a live version from 1983 on the Creatures Tour. And we were going to play a version from 1982 that had that deleted verse, the No Lies, No More Alibis verse. But it just, the sound quality was so poor, and we feel we've subjected you to some pretty poor sounding stuff already that, um, you know, we... thought we, we would uh, save your eardrums for, uh, for a while. and Yeah, for a cleaner and, and maybe better version, too, uh, in that version we just played. Um, yeah, I Love It Loud starts off side two of the album with a bang. Then we get uh, the amazing I Still Love You, which is, you know, like, for a ballad, it's a heavy ballad. It's, it, I, it's almost really not fair to call it a ballad, you know? It's so, the drums in particular are so powerful. Yeah. They, I mean, I can imagine just, I have, you know, been in the car and turned the bass all the way up. And, you know, the bass pounding in your chest with the, of the kick drum. There you go. And uh, moving right along is Killer, which... I guess if I had to pick a song that's, I don't know, the weakest on the album, maybe it would be Killer, but I, I, I really like that song. It's still a kind of a fun, up-tempo, sort of straight-ahead rocker, pretty misogynistic lyrics, I guess, but, you know. Uh, to me, Killer is always, and this sounds so bizarre when I say it, I, I get so many weird looks when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think it has such a feeling to where it's almost a sister song to Blondie's One Way or Another. Oh, I totally understand that. It's got um, a similar um, tempo and a similar drum pattern. Absolutely. And, you know, just that, you know, uh, bitch is insane, she deals in pain. You know, it's just such a cool, you know, really cool hooks. By the way, I love you Blondie. Know. Blondie, excellent band. Excellent yeah, really, excellent really good band. Anyway, um, wrapping up the album is War Machine. One of the greatest riffs I think the band has ever came out with. Re- and uh, clearly, uh, Stone Temple Pilots thought so too, because yeah. <laughs> sex type thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, um, I actually downloaded that song, or not downloaded the song, but was on YouTube and checked out the video, and I was so so aggravated. Why? When I, I don't know, it just I hate it when bands rip off other bands. It just drives me nuts. Well, no. I mean, I think Kiss do that a lot. I mean, well, uh, yeah, but that's Kiss. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's the double standard. What can I say? You know, and all you wrestling fans out there, you also know that uh, ECW wrestler Taz has used a uh, ripoff of War Machine for years as well. Is that right? Yeah, it's the, the the main riff, and he actually used the actual song War Machine before they got the uh, national exposure, and of course the copyright issues and whatnot. So they're in-house guys. They stole the riff and just kept putting you know survive if i let you over top of it so huh oh okay yeah no, a little I, I, tidbit I'm for all you uh, non-wrestling dorks out there the, I, i'll tell you I, I know nothing about that stuff but like you said you know learn something every day um Absolutely. i figure one thing that would be interesting to talk about uh i mean there's a couple of things with with this album that happened around that time one is that they um basically i guess severed ties with bill of coin uh, before this record came out um, and we have a, a track here from a CD that Billicoin put out. Um, when did this come out? It was like right around, like right after the reunion or thereabouts. And it's called 13 Stories. And it's I, I, th- I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very cool CD. Um, I would strongly recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Um, it's it's Billicoin sort of telling little tales, uh, like anecdotes about the band. Yeah, 13 classic Kiss stories, Billicoin. And let me see if the year is on here. Uh, 1998, so right around um, the Psycho Circus era. Yeah. And it's him talking about um, like funny things that happen on the road and just like weird memories about Kiss and kind of... And th- 
Um, the great thing about Bill O'Coin is that he never comes off as bitter. No, he really doesn't. He so easily could. There's, there's, uh, you know, no, he he really does. No, he really doesn't. He just comes off as a pretty cool guy, from what I can tell. Yeah. So here's here's Bill O'Coin talking a little bit about you know what happened when he severed ties with Kiss and, um, you know, some of his feelings about that whole situation. After Unmasked, the guys decided to take some time off. Uh, there was a lot of emotions between Peter leaving and and go doing the next record or not and when and so forth. We knew that the record company needed another record, but no one was in the mood to either write one and or record one. At that point, uh, we delivered it to the record label, and the record label hated it. And that was really kind of the beginning of the end, both uh, with me and Kiss, uh, and for a number of things. Uh, they had decided that they were gonna, they wanted to take off their makeup. Uh, I was certainly against that. I thought that we had spent too much time protecting their makeup uh, legally and through the Library of Congress. So when they decided they wanted to take off their makeup and they weren't happy with the elder, um, so we had had a couple of meetings about whether we were going to stay together or not. And finally one day, Gene and Paul walked into my office and said, well, Bill, I think the time has come. And we had talked about everything and how we began. And we wound up uh, actually with tears in our eyes at the end, but we decided to part that it was the time. They needed to go on and do what they wanted to do, and I needed to do what I had to do. All right, that was uh, Bill O'Coin from his uh, own CD, The 13 Classic Kiss Stories, talking about his departure from uh, the management aspects of Kiss. Um, what we have for you now is something a bit different. We have some news clips for you um, regarding the religious, um, I guess you'd say protesters, yeah. that would um, they would like to picket outside of Kiss shows or... They would try to pay buildings to um, shut down KISS shows. or they would. I think on more than one occasion, they tried to pay the band not to play. You know, it, it's an interesting thing. Um, it's certainly no secret that like, the, the more the people like that protest, um, the more publicity it gives the band. And Absolutely. yet somehow nothing could help this tour. It really, in spite of a very stage. cool stage design, uh, you know, a, a great look, a great sound, a killer album, a nice set list, Nothing could help the tour. It's been 10 years since Kiss first walked on stage spitting blood, breathing fire, and promoting themselves as the loudest band in the world. With a new album to sell, Kiss has been on the road again, but their 100-city tour has met with controversy reminiscent of the 60s. Well, it might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There were picket lines in Nashville, a record-breaking protest in Little Rock, a standing-room-only city council meeting in Corpus Christi, and headlines all over the country, Minneapolis, Dubuque, Chattanooga, and Bismarck, North Dakota. The protesters are mainly religious groups who have been trying unsuccessfully to get KISS concerts stopped because, they say, KISS promotes the worship of Satan. This is one of the ways that the enemy is coming in to try to engulf the minds of these teenagers and win them over. We make heroes out of these guys and make them look like they're something great when literally they're destroying this country. Their music and their lyrics is espousing uh, Satan worship and drugs among our kids. And, and you're looking at a preacher in Pine Bluff, Arkansas that's against it, and we're going to stand against it. And not just me, but in Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, California, uh, the ministry's waking up and realizing that, that we need to stand against this evil. I don't think we'd like those people to like us. They're, they're strange. I mean, they really are weird, you know, but we, we don't get involved in that. We, we're a rock and roll band, and we're certainly not going to make a career of explaining what we do to anybody. 
What they do, according to many Christian leaders, is use their evil-looking makeup along with lyrics such as I was raised by the demons and I'm king of the nighttime world to influence their fans to idolize the underworld. I think they're trying to fill their auditoriums and fill their pocketbooks, what I think. And I think they're putting our kids on the block to do it. There are people who really believe in what these guys have to say. That's the scary part. And if we come and actually start playing the game, we're going to lend more importance to these guys than they actually deserve. They are really small-time bozos who are warped, who are, who are going to try to do the same thing that's been done to Elvis, which is burn his records, and to the Beatles. We figure we're in very, very good company. KISS knows they can use the controversy. Their concerts have only been selling at 50 to 75 percent capacity, and their latest album, Creatures of the Night, is the poorest selling album of their career. Poor sales and a disappointing turnout may well be the reason KISS called off the tour midway through and retreated to a studio to cut a new album. Meanwhile, the controversy is also meaty material for a Christian ministry whose mainline membership is dwindling. Both sides claim that they'd like to meet and smooth things out. Well, if I met the members of KISS, I'd like to do that. I mean, I, I, I would, uh, of course, I would tell them that uh, the only hope they have in their life is Jesus Christ and, and that they have to be born again. I'll go listen to their sermons. They, they seem a little afraid to come see us. Have you invited them? Why? <laughs> you invite them? Sure, come to the show. Sure. Have a good time. The kids, for the most part, are ignoring all the commotion and have been going to the KISS concerts for the same reason they go to any concert, to hear very loud rock and roll. They're not out here for any saint worship. It's just rock and roll. That's all it is. They don't have me working the devil, so I don't worry what they do. <laughs> Dixie Watley for Entertainment Tonight. This small group waiting outside Market Square Arena tonight had no plans of going to the KISS concert. They were there to try to intercept teenagers on their way in, to pass on religious tracts and a warning. It's obvious in this particular band's KISS, K-I-S-S, -S, Kings and Satan's Servants. They, they're not ashamed of who they stand for. We don't have problems with anybody. Some preachers have problems with us. The KISS tour, which began in late December, is the first in three years. But in several cities so far, the band has encountered protests from parents and preachers. The group in Indianapolis was small tonight, but offered the same criticisms. The words behind the music that they're singing is satanic, and it's suggesting these kids to do things and that they wouldn't normally really want to do. Band members, however, have their own assessment of speculation about their act. I guess there's some people who like to see their names in the newspapers, so they figure the best way to do it is to uh, stand on soapboxes and hide behind religion. I don't think they represent anybody except themselves. What does KISS represent? They say their goal this tour, as before, is simply to give the loudest and perhaps most outlandish rock and roll performance. Let's hear your message, quote-unquote. What are you trying to tell my 14-year-old daughter? Well, if she was a little bit older, I'd tell her to come to my hotel room. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's fair. But um, what really is your message to the kids? Enjoy yourselves. Everybody needs a release. There's, there's enough bosses in this world, and there's enough teachers telling you what you have to do. Um, everybody needs to have a good time once in a while. Um, we certainly don't go up and preach anything. Basically, we're telling people, believe in yourself. Do what you think is best for you. We've done what we thought was best for us. It certainly worked. Have some faith in yourself. Okay. An album that no one knows about is not an album that's going to sell well at all. Right, and they were, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. They, I mean, I think that, if anything, they probably milked the whole religious uh, controversy as much as possible. They, they were... Um, 
as absent as they had been for the two years prior was as present as they were um, during the Creatures tour and they just couldn't do enough to uh, you know to repair the damage that had been done during the like the disco concept album stuff well the thing that always um, to go back a little bit the thing that always you know made me admire Kiss and uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley in particular is you know even if you look back through music history your people like your Alice Cooper your Gene Simmons, your, you know, Marilyn Manson, the people that are always um, criticized by, uh, you know, the religious groups or the censorship groups or whatnot, they always end up on your news shows and whatnot, and they come across so intelligently. Right. And well, so well-spoken, you know, like Dee Snyder when he did the uh, whole... Um, pro- uh, the um, PMRC? Oh, uh, what am I talking about? Uh, Dee Snyder on the... Um, Stand, uh, the witness stand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the whole trial for the uh, obscene music and whatnot. They always come across so intelligent and well-spoken, and it really, really, really gives, in my opinion, the music a good name, you know, while kind of, you know, showing, you know, who are these knuckleheads to be telling us who we can, you know, support or, or whatever. So kudos to uh, Gene and Paul for that as well. The interesting thing about one of those campaigns was... Uh we were playing in Odessa, Texas, I think, someplace like that, which was Buddy Holly's birthplace, interestingly enough. And we were picketed by a woman who had bust in 700 demonstrators from neighboring states at her own expense. And her husband was there, too, and they were picketing, sinning against God and all that stuff. Uh, the television stations picked up on it and did a half-hour special on Knights and Satan service playing right here in town. Then our lawyers found out that the young lady who was leading the, the uh, picketing and all that was a former prostitute, and her husband was her pimp. They've since gone the way of God. That almost assumes that those of us who play rock and roll don't believe in God. And, uh, I mean, that's her contention, obviously. So, life goes on. It's pretty misdirected, is what I see. If this, if this woman really wants to do some good stuff, I can all that expense and the energy, just redirect it a little bit to the left. Have a bake sale, collect some money for the poor, you know, do something where you can see something happen. No, they want to go chasing devils and ghosts and stuff that doesn't help anybody, except maybe makes her sleep better at night. It's really a lot of misdirected energy, I think. All that money. Uh, I, I think similar things happened, you know, before that with the Beatles and Elvis. Um, and I imagine, you know, maybe, you know, I, I hear about those things happening today with, of all things, Harry Potter. Absolutely. Wh- which is such a weird, th- I mean, I don't know, tell me something. We, we come from different geographical areas, um, and you may be more privy to this than I've been. Have you heard and seen people protesting Harry Potter? I have... A couple years ago, and uh, those of you who are fan, more fans of comic books and whatnot will know more than I am because I just went with my buddies, but I went with my friends on opening night to see the Hulk movie. Mm-hmm. I believe it might have been 2003 or something around there. And the same night as the opening night of the Hulk movie, they were releasing one of the Harry Potter books. Okay. And the, um, and the bookstore is literally a three, four minute walk from the... Uh, movie theater. So we walked over there for a while to let the traffic die down from the movie theater just to, you know, see what was going on. And inside there were probably 1,500 people, mm-hmm. you know, dressed, you know, as witches. Or I'm not into the whole Harry Potter thing, so I, mean, I don't know exactly what I was seeing, but it was definitely Harry Potter. 
Right. And outside, there wasn't necessarily like a giant group, but there was a small group of what looked like religious protesters. And they were just, you know, they were saying things like, you know, Harry Potter's the devil, you know, you know. It's it. Uh, they get it's people are so getting sensitive. To me. People get, people are getting uptight about the whole witchcraft thing. And and I mean, I'll bring this back to Kiss. I just have to say this: they're talking about a series of books um, that are making kids line up around the block to read. You know, we're Absolutely. we're talking. Yeah, we're talking about books that are you know four hundred, five hundred, six hundred pages long about um, you know a young man who would give his own life to save his friends. Who celebrates Christmas? I might add, and totally. uh, yeah, totally. and, and 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 who is just a, a kind of role model for a lot of people in terms of loyalty and friendship, and most of all, again, getting kids to read, absolutely, uh, and, and to know, protest that is just I, I don't know pathetic. And similarly, you know, when you see uh, um, the people protesting concerts, rock concerts, yeah, there have definitely been a, a fair share of um, you know music events, sporting events where people get out of hand and, and injure each other. But by and large, you're talking about you know tens of thousands of people gathered in one place and basically having a pretty good time. Alrighty, we are located at, uh, on the My Kiss Life family of websites, which you, of course, can find at www.mykisslife.net slash podcast, P-O-D-K-I-S-S-T. We are now on myspace.com. So uh, all you myspacers out there... Um, Come check us out at uh, www.myspace.com slash podcast, P-O-D-K-I-S-S-T. And the email address? Uh, podcast, P-O-D-K-I-S-S-T, at gmail.com. Be sure to check the show notes because we're going to tell you what those interviews were that you heard. Um, give credits where credits due. Um, you know, we have some people we want to thank and uh, websites that have helped us out. Um, Kiss Online. Uh, Kiss FAQ. The Detention Hall. Kiss Junkies. Kiss Asylum, Shockbeth, the Kiss Army Headquarters, Sagafu.com. Be sure to check out Kevin Warhoff's podcast. Absolutely, we'll put the address in the show notes. And also, too, uh, our good buddy uh, Corn Allen. Um, we always like to give him a good plug. He helps us out a lot with the, um, like, so, such as the interview with Bruce uh, from uh, last podcast. Uh, check out his website at fnchurch.com, E F F N S H I R T S.com. He's got some really cool merch on there. And a big thanks to Ken, uh, uh, otherwise known as Nightwing Ken, for designing our awesome, awesome uh, banner on our website. Yeah, that cool stuff—that cool stuff you see when you download it from iTunes—that's him. Ken, you're awesome. Thank you so much. And let's also not forget Tony, um, our, our good friend Tony. He hosts everything for us. You know, we do the talking. Ken does the designing. But folks, uh, Tony pays the bills. Yeah, absolutely. Big, big, big thank you to Tony. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without you. He did, I mean, he lets us do what we want as often as we want, as whatever, and that's just absolutely awesome if you ask me. So. Big, big oh, up no to doubt him. about it. No doubt about it. And, and uh, of course, it goes without saying, a big thank you to Gene Simmons. Paul Stanley. Ace Fraley. Peter Chris. Vinny Vincent. Bruce Kulik. Eric Singer. Tommy Fair. And the memory of the late, great Eric Carr. And the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS. And we are your army. Thanks for listening and keep tuning in. Peace out, guys. Welcome to Abner's Laboratory. On this edition of Lab... Oh my gosh, if I do it again, I'm really going to do something bad to myself. 
Welcome to Abner's Laboratory. This edition of Labor's Oh, uh, Abner's Laboratory. <laughs> and there you have it. Uh, thanks for. Uh, and there you have it. These were. Creatures of the night! Oh, oh. <laughs> 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 Apes is more like it. Gentlemen.